2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That word peace, and you know, the Hebrew word, that's Greek, but in Hebrew, the word in peace, when you read it in the Old Covenant, peace is shalom. And it means uh, wholeness, health, prosperity, nothing broken, nothing missing. So when the Jewish people say shalom, that's what they're saying to, to the other person. But this is what God is saying to you and to me today. Shalom to you. Wholeness, peace, prosperity into your life. This says peace, grace and peace be yours in Second Peter in abundance. And the way that it comes is through knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace there is another, you could say this, that grace is the same as favor. If grace is upon your life, you have favor upon your life. And the Bible says that favor comes or it can be multiplied through our knowledge of Jesus and his finished work. What he did on the cross, the death, burial, and the resurrection, it comes as you learn, favor comes to you as you learn more about and believe that through Jesus, that one sacrifice, God removed all your sins. He gave us righteousness as a gift and put you in Christ to enjoy everything that Jesus has. God's favor is multiplied when you have a revelation of this. Psalms 5.12 says, For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous, you surround them, with your favor as with a shield. In uh, the Old Testament, when they went to battle, that they had an armor bearer, and the shield went to the neck of the soldier behind him all the way down to the ground, so he was totally covered. No arrow or spear could get to him. And God says in Psalms 5.12 that we are surrounded with the favor of God as a shield. As a shield. So, as you and I continue to speak God's favor over our life out of a revelation of Jesus' finished work, you will see more of that favor being manifested. You know, some people think this. They think, it just seems like, you know, everything they touch, it, it just turns to gold. It just seems like they're just, everything happens good for them. It just seems like they get promoted. It just seems like it just seems like. What you're saying is, I don't have that. I don't have that favor. I don't have that specialness. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Actually, you were born, when you get born again, you were born again with something more special than a silver spoon, honey. It's called the favor of Almighty God. The favor of God. In Philemon, there's only one chapter in Philemon, so verse 6, it says this, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual. By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you. Not in heaven, but which is in you in Christ. So he said that word communication means that you are communicating. You are saying. It's a way to say something. And he says the communication of your faith, what you believe, it's going to become effectual. It's going to be manifested. It's going to work for you by acknowledging what good things. Thing that Christ has put on the inside of you. You know, I don't do this enough, but that one, one of the things is I have favor. I have the favor of God on my life, which means not only do I have favor with God, but I have favor with man. 
I have favor with people. Favor comes as you acknowledge Jesus' finished work. And acknowledging that you have favor not only because of what Jesus has done, but I have favor with men. You should know that you have favor in your job. You can work for one of the worst people. You think, dear Lord, it's not Satan, but it's a relative. But you can believe God that I have favor with that man. I have favor in my job. I have favor when I go purchase a car. When I go purchase any product, I have favor. I have the favor of God. I believe that when I buy things, when I purchase things, I get the best deal. I get the best. I get great deals when I purchase things. And it's not because, you know, like I'm just slick willy or something. It's because I believe I have the favor of God. I have the favor of God. I know there's some people who don't believe this. They don't believe that, you know, that God wants you to prosper. But those people who believe that God doesn't want you to prosper and God doesn't want you to be successful, that if you examine those people, they work extra long hours. They do everything that they can to go up the ladder for the sole purpose of having extra money in their pocket. But they have a problem when you tell them that you believe that God can prosper you as it says in Deuteronomy, that God gives you the power to get wealth. That's what the Word of God says. They have a problem with that. They would rather believe that their self-efforts have made them successful instead of acknowledging God has. Abraham wouldn't even take any kind of wealth when he went and rescued Lot. There was all kinds of wealth. He says, no, I'm not going to take it because he says, you all will say that I made Abraham wealthy. He said, no, I'm not even going to take a shoelace because I'm going to testify that it is God who has made me prosper. And he did. So Jesus didn't just die on the cross to free us from the curse of the law. He died also, the Bible says in Galatians 3, 13 and 14, that the blessings of Abraham would come to the world. The blessings of Abraham. Study Abraham's life and see how blessed he was. When he went to rescue Lot, he was going up a whole kingdom. And you know where he got his army? From his servants, from his household. That's pretty good. That is pretty good that you can defeat a whole army with just your servants, the people who work for you. That's a pretty good deal. He was blessed. The Bible says he had much silver and gold, much cattle, much flocks and goats and, and everything, lambs. He had so much stuff, and he said it was because of God. Unmerited favor is complete and total dependency on Jesus for this. It's the grace of God. It's something that Abraham realized that he didn't deserve it, but it was because of God. It is because of God. Success is not what you have, but rather who you have, who you have. So what does favor exactly do for you? I got this definition. Favor is the affection of God towards you that releases an influence through you so that other people are inclined to like, trust, and cooperate with you. I'm going to read it again. Favor is the affection of God towards you that releases an influence through you so that other people are inclined to like you, trust you, and cooperate with you. Favor comes upon you from God a lot of times, to put you into service for a specific job or a specific thing on this planet. I mean, Samuel had the favor of God upon his life. 
And he was a prophet. Favor was upon David for a king. But how about Mary? You know, at Christmas time, we preach messages about Mary. And the angel said, thou art highly favored. Highly favored. She had a specific job. She was going to birth the Savior of the world. God is attracted to these people because of their heart's desire toward them. Now, God's attracted to everybody. He loves everybody the same. But when people start acknowledging that they want to believe God, that they are for God, and that God is for them, there's just some things that automatically start transpiring from the inside to the outside for manifestation of the favor of God. When Mary said, be it unto me according to thy word, boom, the favor of God was manifested through the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's things that you and I need to start believing at a higher level than what we have been, and one of those things is I'm surrounded with the favor of God. If you and I are going to influence Pueblo, if you're going to influence the sphere of the people you're around, you have to believe that you have favor, that you have favor, and people are going to start noticing that. People will start noticing that. And it's not because you're somebody special. It's because of the special that's inside of you. But do you believe that you have favor? If you don't, it's not going to be manifested. Do you know there's so many things that stay dormant within Christians that just stay dormant? They can stay dormant until they're buried six feet under. One person said this, and I believe it. He says, the richest real estate on the, on the earth is... The cemetery, because of all of the riches that have been placed inside of somebody, and they never did manifest it or let it flow out of them, and they just, it was buried with them. Why does favor manifest? Favor comes, like we said from Second Peter, when you acknowledge Jesus and his finished work, the favor of God is re- it's ready to be manifested in your life now if you know what Jesus has done for you. The finished work. Not that Jesus is going to do something else. He finished it. That's why he said, it is finished. The second thing is acknowledging that you have favor with God and man. Man, just every once in a while, I say, man, I believe I've got favor. Especially if I'm going to go purchase something or if I'm going to meet something. I'm just surrounded with the favor of God. You say, why is that so special? Well, it is special. It's because you are believing it. With the mouth, confession is made. And then you have a heart after God. I was reading Ruth, the whole book of Ruth. And so I just started jotting down some notes on Ruth. And so I can't read that where I could, that we would be really late for our picnic. Uh, The whole book of Ruth, it's a short book, but uh, it's a story about Naomi and her family. Naomi's husband was Elimelech. He took his family because there was trials and stuff going on in Israel, so he took them to Moab. Moab is a... uh, was a place where they didn't believe in God. They served other gods and had idols, but he took them there. And so they had two sons, and those two sons married two Moabites, women, which was forbidden by the Israeli uh, culture and what they believed that you should never, ever marry a Moabite. But they did. Naomi's husband died, and then later both of her sons died. So now it was just Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and uh, Ruth. And so she said to them, she says, I'm going to go back to my hometown, but you guys stay here and just 
find somebody to marry here. And they cried. They said, no, we want to come with you. And she says, no, 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 no. You need to stay here. But Ruth had a commitment like none other. Her commitment was off the charts. In Ruth, chapter 1, verse 16, she says this. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you. In other words, don't ask me to leave you again. Or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. Whoa. That is a commitment. But there's something that she saw in Naomi and the God she served. For her to say... The religion that I've been raised in, the family, the city that I've been, is nothing compared to what you believe in. So, she was willing to give up everything for the reality she had found in Naomi. Naomi came back to her hometown, which was Bethlehem. But she believed that God was against her, that God caused the death of her husband, that God caused the death of her sons, and that God was totally 100% against her, which a lot of even Christians believe that today, that God is against them. Something bad happens, oh, God is against me. Nothing could be further from the truth. So what happened was she was poor. She had nothing when she came back. And so what the, the culture at that time was, if you were poor, you could go and glean on the outskirts of a field that... Uh, to gather grain. That's what poor people did. They would allow that people who had harvest, it was time for harvest, they would allow poor people to go on the edges and just gather, you know, what the reapers missed. So this is what happened. It just so happened that she went to Boat. Naomi told Ruth, or Ruth said, Naomi, can I go and glean so we can have food? Naomi said, yeah, go. So it just so happened, Ruth went to a field, not knowing whose field it was, but she went to the field of Boaz. Boaz was a very wealthy man. And so when she got there, Boaz showed up at the same time, and he asked his reapers, who is that, that young lady? Oh, that's the Moabite woman that came with Naomi. And she gave up everything to follow Naomi, to help Naomi, and she's here gleaning to help Naomi and her. Boaz told his reapers to treat her with special treatment. In other words, he said, I want you to literally take handfuls of grain and throw it in front of her so she can gather that. That's called favor. Here she is. She's not Jewish. She's a foreigner. And not only is she a foreigner, she is a Moabite, which people, the Israeli people, did not like. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 10, Ruth fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to Boaz, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? There's some natural things that she did. First of all, it was known throughout the town of Bethlehem, people knew Naomi. And they knew what Ruth had committed and given up to help and to bless Naomi. So her commitment and then her humility. Her humility. Ruth had come to trust the God of Israel. If you read 
and study the book of Ruth, she started believing in the God of Israel. And then she had a great work ethic. Let me just say this. You can't just go to your job and claim favor and sit back on your lazy chair and do nothing. Thank you for that enthusiastic amen. This is what favor does to you if you have a revelation. Have you ready? The Lord showed me this when I was 16 years old, and I knew nothing about what I'm teaching you today. It just came to me. God gives you favor, or in other words, God gives you grace, and if you have a revelation of the grace that you have, it will cause you to work at a higher level than anybody else. Paul said this. He said, you know, if you read that, you think he's boasting. He said, I've worked harder than all of the disciples before me. Well, toot your own horn. You know what? Joel Osteen, his dad, John Osteen, I heard him say this in a camp meeting. He said, well, you should toot your own horn. It's more sanitary. It was funny back in 1980. But anyway, um, so... Paul said, I've worked harder than anybody. But he said, it wasn't I, it was the grace of God in me that caused me and gave me the ability to work harder than everybody else. In other words, he had a revelation of grace. And once he had that revelation of grace, he could work harder. But he realized it wasn't him that was doing the working. It was the grace that was given him to do the job at a higher level than anybody else. It's still Available for you and me today. So you can work harder than everybody else. Instead of just, but this is what most people do. I just got to put in more hours. I just got to work harder. And you're just out there and you're just doing it. You're just doing this and you're, you're spinning your wheels like you're in mud. But if you realize that the grace of God, the favor of God is upon your life, when you put your, the Bible says this, when you put your hand to something, you shall surely prosper. Because you have the favor of God upon your life. But if you're just trying to get ahead by doing everything else and trying to put everybody else down, you will go nowhere. You'll be spinning your wheels. But you can have a revelation of the grace of God upon your life, and you will get promoted even when that person doesn't even want to promote you. So you got to have a good work ethic. Ruth had a great work ethic. Boaz gave her... Favor. Let me wrap this up real quick. The culture at that time is called uh, a kinsman redeemer. And what a kinsman redeemer was, it was a male relative who helps the weaker relative who's in, a, a, in great need. And then goes beyond just marrying or a proposal. It redeems or pays their debts and restores their property and restores them back to a higher level than even what they were. So Boaz was a distant relative of Elimelech, Naomi's husband. He was a distant relative. And so if you read the book of Ruth, Boaz was going to be a kinsman redeemer for Ruth. And so what happened was, to make a long story short, it worked out and she became the wife of Boaz, the wealthiest man in town. All of her needs were met, and she went being 
poor gleaning the fields to owning the fields. Yeah, that'll make you dance right in the pulpit. I would have did it a lot more, but, you know, some people would have got offended. But anyway, Boaz ends up marrying her. Let's look at 4.14. Then the women, Ruth 4.14, then the women said to Naomi, now remember, she said, you know, God just hates me. God's doing all this. The women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons that has borne him. Then Naomi took the child. Ruth had a daughter, or a child, I should say. Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David, which was the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. A foreigner, a Moabite. Why is this so important, this story? Because Jesus is your kinsman redeemer. We were not part of the family. We were like Ruth, just getting the the grain off the edges. We were just living poor as we could. We were nobody. We we were somebody that nobody could be uh, blessed because we were an outsider, just like a Moabite. And God became your kinsman redeemer and brought you into the family, paid all of your debt, and restored you to a place higher than you could ever be on your own. Naomi and Ruth, they could never get to that place of being blessed and prosperous. They couldn't work hard enough. They couldn't do anything. They didn't deserve it. But Boaz brought them into the family, and now they're the wealthiest people in the city. Favor, the favor of God. Do you believe that you have it? Are you confessing it? People worry. Man, I tell you what, I don't know if I'm pleasing God. You know, this is, maybe this will help you. This may be a shock to some of you. Is Jesus pleasing God today? Let's, let's just make sure we're on the same page. How many believe that Jesus is pleasing to God today? Let me see your hand. Okay. Do you know what that means? The Bible says that you are in Christ and that Christ is in you. First Corinthians six seventeen. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So if you truly believe that Jesus is pleasing to God today, then you should erase all doubt if you are pleasing God today. I know that may be some of you hard to swallow, but if you choose something long enough, you'll be able to swallow. When we lived in Africa, we would get a piece of meat. You know, they say, I think your health officials, they say you're supposed to choose something 30-something times or something like that. In Africa, you can double that. When it comes to meat, you just keep chewing and keep chewing and keep chewing. And so, really, it's kind of great because you, you get tired before you get full, so you don't have to eat as much. But anyway, 
my point is, if you chew something long enough, you eventually get to swallow it. Listen to me. If this just sounds so strange to you, my, my thinking is you should just keep chewing it long enough and go to the Word of God and study out, study the book of Romans, and you'll find out that you have been made righteous, that God is well pleased with you. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, because God is not in time. He's not waiting for you to get to heaven to hear that. But a lot of people are just waiting to hear that. You can be here in Pueblo and hear it every day of your life that God is pleased with you. So, you can take this even further. Is Jesus sick today? Jesus poor today? I didn't give you this scripture. Can you pull up 1 John 4, 17? I'll throw you a curveball. 1 John 4, 17. This is a good one. When people say, I just don't believe that. Do you believe the Bible? You believe the word of God. 1 John 4, 17. Let me read it to you. Can we read it out loud together? Ready? One, two, three, read. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is. Stop right there. He's talking about Jesus. As Jesus is. All right? Let's start right there because. Ready? One, two, three. Because as he is, so are we in this Not when you get to heaven. So are we in Pueblo, Colorado, as what? As he is. So if you know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father God, that he is righteous, that he is pleasing, that he is healthy, that he is whole, that he is prosperous, then you and I need to get a hold of that and say, as he is, so is Mike Davis. So is you. 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 You need to believe that. Why isn't it being manifested? Because we don't truly have a revelation and believe that. How do you get that? By meditating on it, by thinking it, by saying it. Philemon 1.6, acknowledge what God has put inside of you and me. Believe it and acknowledge it. Study it out. Keep reading. Keep thinking about it. And it's not, you'll think, well, it just sounds too good to be true. Think, welcome to the gospel. It's called the gospel, which means that terminology back in the day, 2,000 years ago, it was news that was too good to be true, but it, they believed it. And so today we believe if it's too good to be true, then it's not true. But the gospel is that. It's news to people. If you truly hear it, you go, that sounds too good to be true. I feel like I have to pay something for it. I have to do something. I have to accomplish something. If that is your mentality, it won't become gospel. It'll become works and performance. But the gospel is realizing what Jesus has done for us, have a revelation and believe that, and know that God is for you. He's going to manifest it. So let's just go over this one more time. Why does favor, why is it going to be manifested more in your life? It's in you. Favor comes when you you have knowledge of Jesus and his finished work. You acknowledge that you have favor with God. Amen. Philemon 1.6. We have a heart after God. And the reason I put that in there is you can't do this on your own. You need his revelation, his insight. You need God in your life. And be committed to what you're doing. And do it with all humility. Ruth, she was committed. 
she was committed. She said, your God is going to be my God. I am leaving everything that I have believed for and lived for, and now I'm leaving it all behind, and I'm going with you. She was committed. We need to be committed to the things of God, committed to the Word, committed that God has put things inside of us, and it's up to you and me to make sure they get manifested out here. He has finished the work. So just be mindful of this week. You get up tomorrow morning getting ready for work, or if you're retired, you get up tomorrow morning, or in the afternoon, whenever you do, if you're retired. But I mean, whenever you get up, you sit there and go, I have favor with God today. So what does that mean? When you go shopping, you find good deals. When you go meet with your friends, you have a great relationship with them. They like you, and they don't even know why. You know, they may think, you know what, you're ugly, and your mother dresses you funny, but I like you for some reason. It's just the favor of God. You don't work for it, but you do have to believe it. And then when you get into your job, if you're not retired, when you do get in your job, you believe, I have the grace of God upon my life, and it's going to be multiplied today, and I'm going to rise to the top. If your goal is to, to do and listen, man, we need to start thinking bigger. Some of you need to start, you know, you've been working for somebody. Maybe you should start owning your own business. Cricket, cricket, cricket. Maybe God wants you to venture out on your own. Start thinking a little bit bigger. How big a God do you serve? You know, a lot of people say they serve the same God. And that could be true. But your interpretation of the character of God is probably going to be totally different from somebody else when they say God. You should have a revelation that God is good, God is for me, and God wants me to be successful. God wants me to be healthy. God wants me to make a difference wherever I'm at, to make a difference, to make a difference. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Let me pray for you. Father, we just believe that we'll be stirred up to acknowledge what Christ has done for us, the finished work, we will acknowledge that we have the favor of God. That our commitment level will be at a far greater commitment than what we have ever done, but we'll realize it's not our striving, but it's the grace of God in us. And then it won't become work at all. I said, then it won't become work at all. It'll be the grace doing the work through us and in us. Help us to see that and have a greater revelation of the grace that is in us, the favor that is in us. To be committed to whatever we are doing, whatever job that we are working, to be committed to that as doing our work is unto the Lord. Thank you for helping us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.